Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Today on the show, we're going to listen into a recording from a live event where Brian interviewed the author of the 12-week year, Brian P. Moran. This is awesome content about retooling how you think about the year and how you think about project management, time management, just managing your life in general. Let's take a listen. So I want to kind of give you a little chronology here. We got a referral to the book. I read the book. I went, okay. I get a lot of books. I'm like, this is no fluff. This is the real deal. And then we had a chance to meet and hit it off. And then I should have known why we hit off. As he mentioned, Moran is the American way. And then Morin is the right way to say it. And <laughs> so Therese Morin is my mom. And I'm very much like my mom and so on and so forth. So I, I sent him a little book on the Morin family. You remember that little book? I do, yeah. And so... It had all these famous Morans, Morans, and one of them was the first guy that invented the publicity stunt. So it was great. In 1947, he was working for GE, and he brought up, and they filmed him and did this whole thing, and he sold a GE refrigerator to Eskimos. I thought that was good. And then he was doing a real estate development and he sat on top of a giant haystack in Virginia for 17 days while people searched for a needle in a haystack. And then he had a client in New York that owned one of the top jewelry stores. And the publicity line, the New York Times said, he calmly walked a bull through the china shop. So we come from a long line of BSers is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> That's the truth. It is the truth. So I have pages and pages of notes. Now, Brian has been, we've become friends He's become a consultant. We have our leadership team with us here at today. Our leadership team, Brian meets with every 12 weeks, and we go through processes and projects and things like that, and it's been fabulous. It's been transformational for the company, and he's a brilliant guy and a better man. And so I'm going to fire away with some questions, and then we'll open it up to some of you. You might have a question or two. They're probably not as good as these. So, <laughs> so the first one is, in truth... As much as I've been delving into this, I have not yet made the shift from annual thinking to 12-week thinking. The way you describe it is there is only 12 weeks in the year. You forget that anything else exists. You right. pursue it, and I do. But I still have in the back of my mind, tick, tick, tick. And I've been doing goals for years, and we do annual forecasts and annual budgets and all those kinds of things. Right. How do, and I'm not looking for the magic insta Fix, but how do you go from thinking on an annual basis like the whole world does to a 12-week basis? Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. And it does not like flipping a switch because right. everything you've done to date is annualized. You know, a lot of the recognition programs for you folks are probably going to continue to be annualized. But you can't periodize your practice. And so, you know, sometimes it helps to set an annual goal. Yeah. We think of that more as a long-term vision. So if you thought about 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, and you said at the end of 2020, here's where I want to be you'd probably focus in on 2017. Fair enough? And you wouldn't think about 2018 until when? Until late 2017, early 2018. Same thing, only that line in the sand is June 30th. You know? And so the more you can just make that a hard line in the sand, which means for a company like yours is aligning the support structures, how we report numbers, how we recognize, how we promote, all that stuff. And so... Part of that, too, is looking at the annual goal, if you do set an annual goal, and not just dividing it by four. Because if you do that, what we found is it's limiting. Mm. I got a call from uh, 
a financial rep at Nationwide. She called me September 7th, and she said, Brian, I'm calling you because I just got off the phone with my boss. I hit my annual goal. I'll probably double it by December, which she did. She would not have done that had she taken the annual and divided it by four, sure. right? So it's really, the process is pretty similar. It's just the calendar, if you will, is condensed. But once we determine what that goal is, that's the lock and load. Right. And so nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Just get it over the finish line this 12 weeks. Right. And at the end of that, it's kind of your rest, sprint, rest, sprint, mm-hmm. rest. We're going to rest. We're going to look. We're going to look at what worked but didn't work. And not everything's going to work. Right. So the key is that every 12 weeks we learn. That's how we get better. Okay. That is a key to really focusing on 12 weeks. Is this 12-week year is a guilt-free zone. Mm. We never look back to beat up because we can't change anything we've done in the past. It's mm. all about how do we take what happened and learn from it and apply it so we're better in the future. All right. So you know I'm Mr. Application. All right. So you go and anybody toured Buffini and Company, you might have gone in and what, anybody take a tour through and check it out. Great. You see the podcast studio and all that stuff and whatever else. Well, on the back of my door is my 12-week calendar for the business, okay? And so it's all laid out, and it's all structured, and it's all built out, and it's a 12-week calendar. So it's a calendar with numbers on it but no dates on it, so it allows me to kind of make it just 12 weeks, okay? You guys see that? So then I I had one for home, and so I set a health goal, all right? So this was the start of the year. And so now this is the deep, dark side of Brian Buffini, and I'm letting you in here. No judgment, criticism, or shame. But I'm little Ain Lanny here. So this was in my gym. I have a gym at the house. And so red was on fire workout. Green was eight clean all day. Blue was there's one of three spiritual disciplines I want to practice. And then yellow was do something fun. And my weakness has always been not enough yellows. Okay? And so I have, you guys know the like little file stickies? So here's the deal. Watch this. So I'm starting out. So I, a great day was I got a red, a blue, a green, and a yellow. Make sense? And this gave me constant feedback, and I, okay, great, I had a good workout. I did the spiritual disciplines, uh, met Dermot for lunch, so that green was gone. And met Dermot for work, so no chance of yellow. So day two, right? So, right, gone, gone. And so, you know, you've had meetings with him, so you know the thing. So day after day after day. So here's what happened. That was January. So 25 days into it, I get pneumonia. I almost never get sick, and I have pretty strong... I mean, I'm hugging people and shaking hands. I never get sick. I never get colds, whatever else. I got pneumonia, and it knocked the snot out of me. Well, then the next thing is I had this dental thing I had to get taken care of at the end of the two weeks. And I get in, they go, oh, this is more of a problem. We're going to have to do a bone graft on your jaw. <laughs> this is the money maker right here, boys and girls. <laughs> you know? So now I get two weeks, and it was brutal. And they gave me these drugs that were like, they gave me this. I had to go get fingerprints to get the drugs. I took them one night. I was bouncing off the walls. And I go, done. I'm not taking that stuff again. And I did it with ibuprofen. Ibuprofen was not enough. Okay? So I did that. Then I'm like, all right, I've had four sucky weeks. Great. Rocky music starts up. I get back in the gym and I have a blister of a workout and I actually pop my hip socket. <laughs> so that was my 12 weeks. So here's what happened. I had four great weeks. Yeah. I had five and a half brutal weeks. I wasn't working out. I wasn't eating good. And I also stopped putting stickies up here. Not, not, I'm just, no judgment, people. 
I have to spend two weeks going, do I just go back to the 12 weeks? Do I scrap it and start a new 12 weeks? Because I felt like I lost all this momentum. Sure. I'm killing it. Right. I'm crushing right. it. I'm going to be in his next book and watch this. <laughs> and so here's the thing. Life happens. In this room, how many of you have had, if you haven't been derailed, you hit the rails at the last 12 months? Let me see your hands. Okay, so I got my 12-week plan. I'm working one-on-one with you. I got the deal. I got my little anal system. And I get the frickin' pneumonia. I get the jaw. I get the hip. And now I'm like, hmm. I got three weeks left in my 12 weeks. Do I just try to do what I do? Or do I scrap it all and say, that sucked? Do I start again? But then it's like, hang on a second here. If I start again, am I setting myself up for the quitting 12-week program? Hmm. Where anytime I have a bad week or two, I don't do it. So there's my deal. Okay, is that helpful? Okay. That's a long question. You know? <laughs> See how it read? Yeah. It's met the needs. Look, they're all hanging on the edge of their seat. Because it's real life, right? It is real life, yeah. So the cool thing about the 12-week year is you have a choice. Yeah. You could start a new 12-week year or you could continue with it. Yeah. I would say most of the time I'm of the opinion you should continue with it. Yeah. Just because here's the thing. We don't control the outcomes. Right. We control the actions. And there's nothing that stopped you in week eight getting back on the action, which will start to create the momentum. So as that 12-week year ends, you still celebrate. You celebrate the progress. You celebrate the fact that you got derailed, but you got back in the game. Mm. And then that momentum, then now we've got a clean break. We're not starting a new 12-week year because we had a disaster, right? You've recovered, and you're building that momentum, and now we go into the next 12 weeks fired up. Because, again, we control the actions. So think about the second part. Here's what my concern was. If I started a new 12-week, because I like momentum, right? right? So, And some of our profiles are wired like this. Oh, momentum. I like the wind at my back. I like feel like I'm winning. And I do this and the other. And I'm getting this. I'm getting this. And so, great. I'm going to finish up. And I'll be honest with you. This is where I got to change my thinking. It's great. I'm going to get back on the horse and get back to having a sucky 12 weeks. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, okay. You know, that doesn't inspire me. But my fear was if I start another 12 weeks, I'm putting in the back of my mind, if I quit, and don't do it. I just start again, start again, start right. again, start again. Right. And so, if yeah, I know there's the choice, but is it, if it really gets down to crunch time, finish, do what you can, and stick to the 12. That's, yeah, that's my recommendation. Because again, we don't control the outcomes. You're going to have problems. You're going to get knocked down. I worked for this one gentleman. He owned the company that I was working for. We were a billion-dollar company. It was one of many he owned. Had an island in Florida. He owned was developing. It was a real estate development guy, kind of like you. Probably the most successful guy financially I've ever known. And I remember asking him, his name was Jules. I said, Jules, if you had to pick one characteristic, what do you think has contributed to your success the most? What do you think it is? And he thought about it. He said, you know, Brian, I recover well. Mm. Which for me, mm. and this was, this was a long time ago, but why that stuck with me is because we talked about that thinking actions results framework. Mm. Right? He thought differently about it. Yeah. Where most of us are surprised when we stumble or we get knocked down, he was expecting it. Mm. And he had a game plan to get back in the game. Mm. And so for me with the 12-week year, it's like that. I, I know I'm going to stumble. Is it going to be a week? Am I going to get pneumonia? Is it going to be four weeks? I don't know, but I know I'm going to stumble. Mm. But I'm not going to let go of my goals. Yeah. And I'm gonna, as soon as I can, it may be on a Tuesday. I'm not even going to wait for a Monday. <laughs> if I can get back in the game on Wednesday, I'm getting back in the game. Yeah. 
Because if I wait for Monday, sometimes Monday becomes next month. And, you know, when do most diets start? Monday. When do right. most diets start? Never, right? So, so as soon as you realize it, you get back in the game. So for me, I wouldn't change the goals. I'd go back to I might go in, though, and reduce the tactic load. Mm. You know, now you didn't have a big tactical plan. You had certain items. Yeah. But I might go back and say, you know, if I'm struggling to execute and I get derailed and I got 14 tactics in my plan, I might go back and pick the top three mm. and focus on those for right. the next few weeks until I start building that momentum again. That's great. Some good stuff right here, isn't it, boys and girls? Okay. This is good. Beautiful. That's helpful for me. I have two concepts I'd like to get into. One is, all right, you know, the old phrase, you totally underestimate what you can do in a decade and overestimate what you can do in a year, right? So this process starts out, you start with your vision, right? So you're going out here five years. Yep. Five years is a good number, and especially the way the world is today. Five years is pretty hard to go past that, even though some of you are uber global and all that stuff. Now I'm coming back and I start breaking it down year by year by year. What I've had a tendency to do, but also what I've seen a lot of people do, is they have 12 weeks and they want to bite off more than they can chew. So other than just doing it a lot, what would be a great tip for someone who really wants to get going? Yep. You know, we're going to do the 12 weeks here and meet up at Mastermind. Oh, that's great. Okay? And we can all talk about their practice, and you're going yeah. to see a vision in front of you in 12 weeks. So I'm not hugging any of you tonight at all. No personal contact with anybody because I don't want to get pneumonia. And so that was a joke. Calm down. <laughs> but, you know, what's a good way to not bite off more than you can chew and come up with a reasonable 12 weeks yeah. that pushes you but doesn't overwhelm you? It's a great question. And here's the reality. Most people in their first 12 weeks will do that. Even though we talk about it, they're going to take on too much and they're going to front load everything. So everything comes down with the first couple of weeks. Why? Because I'm really excited about it. I want the fruit. Right. So the recommendation is pick one business goal, one personal goal mm. for your first 12 weeks. Mm. One business goal, one personal goal. And again, with the goals, you know, specific and measurable, you need to be able to define there. That's the outcomes. We don't control it. And then what matters, though, is the tactical plan. Mm. Because you not only got to commit to the goal, more importantly, you got to commit to the daily action or the tactics in the plan. But one goal in your business, one in your personal life for your first 12 weeks, it, it might not be the only thing you do, but that's a great start because it's not overwhelming. And you're learning to apply the 12-week year. There's a couple different learning curves you're on. You know, every time you're taking new ground, there's a learning curve. But in addition to that, you've got this learning curve of the 12-week year process, the weekly plan, the WAMs, the scorekeeping, that type of stuff. So if there's ever a time when less is more, yeah. <laughs> it's the first 12 weeks. Right, and go kill it. Yeah. Yeah, and just, go kill it. just move the needle in one area. You know, look at all the areas in your business and say, what's the one area that if you worked on it and you nailed it over the next 12 weeks would have the greatest impact? Mm. That's the area to focus on. And then same personally. Same personally, yep. Great. Yeah. Why do you think the 12, because you've seen hundreds of examples. I mean, again, you come in, big companies bring you in. Yeah. I love the fact that you don't really talk about your client list. You, know, you get these giant companies and then they bring you in. But you always love the stories. I mean, that's what gets you going, very yeah. similar to myself. What is it you've seen the common pattern of those who've succeeded the most with the 12-week year? You're getting story after story after story mm -hmm. of story of people who triple their business and done this and done that, and you know, relationships changed and bodies changed and health changed and all these different yeah. things. What would you yeah. say are those most common denominators? It's a great question. I think there's a couple things, Brian. One is that that vision is compelling and they're connected to it. Mm. So it's one thing to create a vision. It's a whole other thing to stay connected to it. Mm. The research on the brain says, you know, there's portions of our brain that uh, are almost in conflict in you achieving a great life. 
in the limbic system, the amygdala, right? That's that, that little voice that kicks in and goes, hold on, you know, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a portion of your brain, though, that's designed to help you create a great life. And it's almost like they're in conflict. So you've got to feed the one. You've got to feed the prefrontal cortex. How do you do that? You stay connected to your vision. And the recent research I saw said the very neurons that fire when you think about a life of greatness are the same neurons that fire when you act on it. Mm. Did you catch that? Because you can literally train your brain to act on it by thinking about it. That's called neuroplasticity. So by thinking about it, you're creating new neural connections, you're creating new neural pathways, you're strengthening those pathways, which makes it easier for you to act on it. We had Daniel Goldman here last year, who's the foremost expert in the world on neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity means a flexible mind. Yeah. That's what it means. Well, that's brilliant stuff. The same neurons that fire when you're doing the planning phase of the vision and the same neurons that fire when you're taking action, yeah. which means one reinforces the other. Yeah, and so it's not just the planning. It's why in my outlook, there's a reminder that says connect with vision every day. And I've got my vision laminated on a little card, right? And sometimes I'll pick one item off and mentally stand that ground, think about what's that going to feel like? What does that do for my confidence, for my image? What does that enable me to do for my family that I can't do? Other times I'll read through the whole thing. But it's more than just creating it. You've got to stay connected to it. That's the key. So let's do this. Now let's going to circle back on our little yellow brick road theme here. Oz didn't give nothing to the tin man that he didn't already have. And everybody already had what they needed. Dorothy had to mm-hmm. click the heels. The Tin Man had the... He already had the heart. He just needed to know it. And the Scarecrow was smart enough. He just needed to know it. And the Lion yep. had the courage. When you say something like compelling vision, I know these guys, and I know what some of them are thinking. And it's this grandiose, uh, out-of-body, and it's somebody else's... What is, what is that out there? Mm-hmm. And yet, I would imagine that with all the success stories you've said you've come in contact with, some of those compelling visions might not be stratospheric, but they're just really meaningful. Can you you give us an example or two? Exactly. You're right on right. They're usually not. You know, compelling vision for some might be to end the month with 100 bucks left over. No joke, right? It has to be real. If it's, you know, six houses across Europe and everything else, that's great. But if you don't connect with that in a real way, then it doesn't have any power for you on a day-to-day basis. Because, again, I think the enemy is comfort. So what's it going to take for you to take the action daily? Well, it's got to be connected to something because the pain's right now. The benefit's not for months or weeks or years later. So I have to be able to connect the pain right now with the benefit, and the benefit's got to outweigh the pain. Mm. Otherwise, what happens is I go, oh, I'll get to that later. Mm. I'll pick, thank goodness my email just beeps so I can go in and answer it, you know, or, or... Boy, I better social check that voicemail. I haven't, right, I haven't posted on social media in six minutes. I better get on there, you yeah. know, that kind of stuff. You're right, though. That compelling vision is what's compelling for you. It's not what society says it should be. It's not what even your spouse says it should be, right? It's what's in your heart. And what does great look like for you? But in a way that you really can... When I say compelling, I mean connection, this emotional connection that it makes you a little uneasy, but it's something that you can't wait to stand that ground. And now we connect that to the daily actions, so that when it comes time for me to write out my cards or Popeyes or get on the phone and make outbound calls or whatever it is, right? I've got this, I've got a reason to do that versus, you know, post on social media. Mm-hmm. But you're right though. You know, I don't want you to think that it's this big, it's not always financial either, mm-hmm. right? The money funds the vision. If you have a big vision, you probably need a lot of money to fund it. If you want to have a big impact, you probably need some resources to do that. That's how the two connect. But it's really pursuing what's in your heart. And the thing about that is as people begin to develop their vision, they're usually, it's really an uncomfortable exercise for people because they're afraid they're not going to get it right. Mm. <laughs> Just put it on paper. Nice. You're That's not, great you're not advice. Guaranteed, you know, you can always tweak it. You can always mm. work with it. But it's not yeah. like you're going to mess it up. Right. 
right? Just get it out there and look for the connection. If it's not something when you read it that you just get fired up about, you're not done. That's not awesome. Done. You know, it's not politically correct to use this phrase anymore, but Ogmandino's mentor was Dorothea Brand. And I'm going to be doing a piece on that at Mastermind this year on Og's mentor. She was a brilliant woman back in the 30s and 40s. But her phrase was, failures, and you can't use that phrase anymore, but failures act as if they have a thousand years to live. Failures act as if they have a thousand years to live. I don't know how, you know, we've had a lot of conversations the last two days about people passing away, and this is, which probably more so than any event cumulatively for 21 years, but it's kind of like, and we're going to get to it in a minute, and carpe yeah, diem, you know, right, seize the right. dog on day. To me, that, that's the magic of the 12-week year. It is season the day. It's yep. a, I'm going to make the most of life. You know, if life's an apple, I'm going to take a bite, and it's a 12-week bite, which also is in a world that's overwhelming and a little over busy, and we're a bit overcommitted on our schedule. 12 weeks doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like too much. No, it's not. You know? It's not. And you talked about how most people don't accomplish the annual stuff. The reason is it's because it's, I feel like i got a lot of time. Right. That's how the 12 weeks here, we're able to create more in 12 weeks than we are 12 months, because we don't put it off. We don't right. put off the action. Yeah. And it's that cumulative action that all of a sudden, there's always build up before breakthrough, but then it starts to take off. It's like compound yeah. interest, yeah. which you understand yeah. very well, right? I mean, it starts to, in a few weeks, it's like compound interest, and, right. the, and the results start to accelerate. Beautiful. How many of you in here by a show of hands have a full-time business coach? Could I see your hands nice and high? Okay. Nice. Yeah, yeah, nice. right, Okay. We've got coaches watching via live stream. They'll be interested in this answer. Yeah. How can ownership and coaching work together? Awesome. Well, here's the thing. I think that's the only way it works, really. Because what good coaching does is it comes up alongside the person. But you're not the enabler. When we coach clients with the notion of accountability as ownership, we're always testing for ownership. We're always asking them, tell me what you see. Based on the numbers. So you've got to track, right? You've got to track the lead and lag. You've got to measure your execution. Where are we at with the goal? Tell me what you see, right? Now, that's an opening as a coach for me to come up alongside of that. If I'm being coached, I'm not looking for someone to hold me accountable. I'm not looking for them to tell me the numbers. Because if someone's got to tell me the numbers, guess what? I don't own it. Right. I have zero ownership in it. Right. It's my business. It's my life. It's my burden. And a coach for me is someone who brings in a whole new perspective that says, have you thought about this? Hmm. Here's what I see. What do you think about that? Okay. What are the areas that, you know, and, and it's just confronting the reality. I think the best coaches confront the reality, and they're not trying to hold you accountable because you can't. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I can chew you out. What good is that? If i got to do that, if I've got to hold someone accountable, my span of control is really thin. Right. And what happens is I've got to be there regularly because every time you don't do what you're supposed to do, i got to zap you. And if I'm not there, then performance drops off. And at some point, you kind of become numb to the zap, so i got to you know, up the ante on the zap. It's just, it doesn't So work. now let's take it to the next level. So first we made it to them. And again, the element of the coaching call creates an April 15th moment for all these guys. Okay? So the coaching call is coming, yep. and three days before the coaching call, there's a flurry of activity breaks you out. Bet. You bet. And then they show up, hey, wasn't I? And I'm, you know, and so... So you have that. Now, a lot of these folks, how many of you manage somebody, lead somebody? Can I see your hands nice and high? Okay, a heck of a lot of people in this room. Yeah, most of them. Talk through the dynamic of accountability. Okay, now, great, ownership with my coach, but now I have my team. And I'm busy. I'm working. Right. Most of these people are producers and lead a team. So now it tends to be, you know, Zappos is a... uh, 
company that sells shoes, and zapping is something realtors and teams do. <laughs> yeah, they do it in every industry. So I mean, really what do. happens is, hey, I told you to do this, whatever else. We don't often have the time to train somebody up. We don't know if they're going to be any good yet. That's and that and the other. We start pouring ourselves in, and now all of a sudden it's consequences. Right. So now talk to these guys as leaders and how to elevate their game from holding people accountable with consequences to get into this collaboration. I wrote down what you said. It was a beautiful phrase, something about holding uh, never get discretionary yeah. effort. Right. You right. know, at Buffini Company, you've seen it. We get a lot of discretionary effort yeah. from our team. They go the extra mile. They do these things without being yeah. told. Yep. Maybe you could share that with these guys. Yeah, the first thing to realize internally, though, is you don't have to do anything. Right? When you create your plan, you don't have to execute your plan. You only have to execute your plan if you want to live the life you want to live. See, and most people never make that confront. Mm. They go through life thinking, well, I can put that off and still live the life I want to live. Mm. And then you get to the end of life and you look back and you go, wow, that didn't quite work out the way I'd hoped. And it's the same as a coach. It's interesting because as you confront people with their choices in the situation, again, they don't have to work for you. Right? They could work somewhere else. Yep. So if your understanding of accountability as choice versus accountability as consequences, if that really shifts for you, I'm talking thinking, actions, results, right? If I think about accountability as consequences at the thinking level, what are the actions that come out of that? Well, the actions are that I try and hold people accountable. I create negative consequences. What are the results with that? They're pretty mixed, aren't they? Yeah, well, you, pretty can, mixed. you might get the bare minimum. You get the bare minimum, but it comes with collateral damage. It comes with relationship damage. It comes with sabotage. It comes with all kinds of stuff that's mm -hmm. unhealthy that poisons the culture. If I think of accountability as choice as ownership, then at the action level, it changes. It's the difference between trying to act like a coach or being a coach. Mm -hmm. You know, if my thinking doesn't align with it, it's hard for me to do it for a period of time. But if my thinking shifts, the actions naturally align. When I shift my thinking from accountability as consequences to accountability as choices ownership, then the actions naturally follow. So when people aren't performing, the first thing I do is I confront. How do I do that? I confront with questions. It's not that it's passive. It's not passive. It's very confrontive, but it's confrontive with choice and the consequences of those choices. So we're going to confront the situation. Hey, talk to me about how you feel like you're doing. And you may find out they think they're hitting it out of the park, right. and you don't. Here's the thing. These guys, you know, we both are in the horse side of things, yeah. and there's a thing called a hot horse. Yeah, oh, yeah. These are hot horses. And they're not really sure of that, and so, because they're just themselves. Right. And then they hire these buyer's agents who are kind of show ponies, maybe. <laughs> maybe barn rats. Yeah, yeah. Maybe glue factory opportunities. Right? Right. And so what happens? They have expectations. How come you can't do what I do? Right. How many of you struggle with that? Yeah. Like, what is wrong with you? It's so simple to yeah. sell 100 yeah. homes. Yeah. So how to create that team where you're basically, you can't build a team with 100 replicas of yourself, right? Right. right. So, so part of that, though, that? is the pre-work's never done for that. Yeah. What I mean by that is you need to do the vision work with them. What do they want in their life? Mm, and then yeah. you need to connect the dots for them with the business. Don't assume they make the connection. You make the connection. That's why you're the performer you are. This is big stuff. The vast stuff. majority of folks won't. Okay. And if you don't make that connection for them, meaning here's the things you do daily, that helps you get the life you want to live. It not only helps me in my business, mm. but now they're clear on how those actions help them live the life they want to live. Without that piece, right. it's really difficult. If you don't have the structures of the 12-week year, I mean, you don't have to have the 12-week year. But if you don't have the structures of the 12-year, it's hard to hold someone capable. Right. 
right? You need to know what they want. You need to know what matters most. That's the planning. You need to know whether or not they're doing it. That's process control. You need to know whether or not it's producing. That's measurement. So he just said the magic phrase. Hold people what? So the bottom line is everyone at Buffini and Company has got to have a set of goals for themselves individually. And then the company has a set of goals. Then the departments have a set of goals. And each department knows what their part is to the overall goals. And it's many layers into client experience and all those things. I don't know how you could lead a sales team without knowing their goals. I have no idea how you could do that. I have no idea how you could motivate somebody without knowing their goals. I don't know how you lead somebody without knowing their goals. We forget to do this. Now, some of you have done a great job. How many of you have brought a staff member to one of our events? And you go, well, Brian, you fix them. <laughs> All right? right? But you know what they're going to walk away with. They're going to walk away with some written goals. They're going to have some things in a little bit of direction, a little bit of motivation, that kind of stuff. But again, the whole dynamic is you share from your own experience. Here's, here's what's going on for me. Here's my 12 weeks, and here's where I screwed up. Is it helpful for you guys to know how I screw up? Sure. Is it helpful for your team to know that, how you screw up? Yeah, because it makes it more human and real. And then say, now, here's the goals. What are your goals? Right. What do you want to do? How can you be in here to achieve those goals? And then what can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? Here, here's the thing. People, society is more than willing to have you hold them accountable. Because if it doesn't work, whose fault is it? Right. It's Ooh. yours. It's Ooh. yours. Yeah. Hold on. You just <laughs> dropped a gold bar here, baby. <laughs> Brian, that is genius stuff. It's true. It's, it's, did it's you guys catch true. that? If you hold them accountable and it, and it doesn't work. work out, whose fault is it? Yours. That's the ultimate entitlement. Right. I'm going to hold you accountable. You're going to show up here on time. We're going to meet together. You're going to do these calls. You're going to do those things. You're going to do those activities. And they go, yes, 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 yes. And if it doesn't work, whose fault is it? It's your fault. Because they never had this thing called right, ownership. Right. I'll sign up for that all day long. And most people will. And that's the mindset in society. So that's what's coming to you. Mm. It's an entitlement mindset. But the very way we engage with them fosters that entitlement mindset. Yeah. It creates this quid pro quo at best. But when you start to you know, work with them on their vision and how it connects with our vision as an organization, how they benefit, the choices they have around the actions they take, Right? It's a different culture. It's a different way of engaging. But it takes more time. The reason we like to confront with consequences is because I can get them to stop doing something right now. Boom. Right. But the minute I walk away, it changes. And at some point, you know, if you're a good human being, that gets distasteful, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, man, I don't, I'm tired of beating up you. I just wish they would do what I ask them to do. Well, they will if you treat them the way you, you kind of engage yourself. Yeah. And the real question is, I just want them to do what they're capable of. Right. And people will surprise you how good they are. A resource I recommend you check out is a YouTube clip with a recent interview with a guy named Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. And he did this piece. This is kind of his major talk, but he, he, he was done in an interview format, and it yeah. was about millennials. He pointed out the good stuff with millennials, but he talked about, and again, this is people we're going to hire and motivate and inspire, and, and we have a bunch of new blood coming into Buffini Company, and there's a culture heading our way that we have to be able to address as leaders. And again, these are people who've grown up their whole life told, yep. you're special. You're special. You can do anything you want and get anything you want if you just want it. Yep. Yep. 
right? Discipline's a four-letter word. No okay. hard work involved, um, right? It, participation it's, trophies. Here's the deal. Yeah. Participation trophies were designed to not cause hurt. And then all the science is now in, because we've been doing participation trophies now for almost 20 years, believe it or not. And here's what has happened. It devalues the award, so the winner doesn't value the winning anymore. And it lowers the self-esteem of the one who gets the medal because they know they didn't deserve it. And even though you're trying to, okay, I don't want you to get hurt, and I don't want you to feel bad, and so on and so forth. And so now what's happened is, right now, the studies that are being shown, this next generation has the lowest self-esteem of any in the last 100 years. And all the stuff that parents have done to try to avoid hurt. Honey, right. you get into the honors right. class. Honey, you should be getting more playing time. I'm going to go speak to the coach. I'm going to go fight for you, whatever else. What it's created is a lower self-esteem. And now these folks are coming into the workplace. A lot of these kids, there's a lot of them are very purpose-driven. Mm-hmm. They want to be part of something that makes a difference. They want to be involved in impact. They want to be involved in contributing. The millennial kids are great future team members in real estate. A lot of them don't want to be the big dog. Are you with me? They, they don't want to make 500 grand. They'd be over the moon with 120. They don't want a 5,000 square foot home. They're happy with a little house. You okay? And, and a bike with no gears and a beard and coffee and beer and, you know, whatever. <laughs> okay, great. However, what we've had is they come and they work and they're here and they've wanted beanbags and free food and da-da-da-da-da. And they get all that and they're not happy. And they're six months into the job and they go, I think I'm going to move on. Why? I just don't feel a sense of purpose. And, you know, this stuff that takes time, right. because the technology is, you know, swipe here if you like me. Absolutely. So the culture that took a long time, you know, I love that uh, CK piece you showed yeah, where, yeah. you know, like all the things we need to be bloody thankful for. And they're like, no, this takes two seconds. So we have this impatient, tech-driven culture heading our way that even when they're great kids, they don't appreciate the value of the time and the effort and, and so on and so forth. So we got this, this group coming our way. And we've got to win with these guys. And we've got to teach these guys how to win. Yeah. Uh, and you got kids. Yep. You know, yep. I mean, I'm talking about for these guys, they might have kids and grandkids, but they also have these staff. And they're going to have to win with these folks coming. Yeah. In regards to this purpose, what would your tip be on that? Yeah, it's the same thing. It's starting with the vision. It's having them use the 12-week year for some personal goals as well as contributing to the business goals. Yeah. Because it's funny, you know, we did some work in an agency, and this was happened to be a multi-line insurance agency. And we were having the agency owner do this vision work with his team. And at first he said, well, they don't care about this stuff. And I'm like, you might not care about it, but their lives matter to them. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And he started to do this vision work and he was amazed at how they engaged. Mm. And now it gave more purpose to the, to, and he had them help create the plan for the agency as well. Mm. And so it's a $10 million agency that in 12 weeks is up 65%. So we took a $10 million business and 12 weeks turned it into a $17 million business because he got the team engaged. And he'll tell you that in the past he was the super agent. Now the team's stepping up. Now the team's doing more of the heavy lifting. He's acting more like a CEO. It's amazing how quickly it can turn yep. if you engage with the right levers. And, and for us, we have to get engaged because we like being the super agent. Right? You like being Wonder Woman, you like being Superman. We get a lot of acknowledgement for that. This team, you know, it's like none of us is as smart as all of us. But how many of you like the idea of turning your $10 million business into $17 million business in 12 weeks? How many of you like that? Okay? So 
again, getting them engaged, their vision, what's important to them, what's their goals, what's right. their dreams, and you lead them in the 12-week process. And then you confront them with the choices. You don't have to do this stuff. You only have to do this stuff if you want, you know. And if this isn't working for you, then, then that's fine. You can find someplace else. Because here's the thing. I'm not saying you don't apply consequences. Sometimes people hear this accountability conversation and think, well, you don't apply consequences. You do. But what your people need to understand is what you do with them is based on the choices they make. Otherwise, you're the bad guy. When negative consequences come along, you're the bad guy and you're mean and evil for creating this. So that discussion happens over. It's like Emma's 11. That's our youngest. And Emma will come to me and she'll say, Dad, I'm going to do this. (laughs) She's a fiery little kid. And I'll go, Emma, what do you think is going to happen if you do that? And she'll tell me. And I go, hmm, any other options? And she'll go, well, I guess I could do this. And I'll go, okay, what happens if you do that? Right? And then, you know, most of the time, even at 11, she makes the productive choice. Mm. And yet we don't manage adults that way. We come in and say, you did this wrong. You need to fix it. Here's when you need to fix it by. And if it's not fixed, I'll be back to zap you again. It's not effective. I mean, it's just not effective. People inherently know we are made with free will choice. And when you try and trump that, you get pushback, you get resistance, mm. you get Donkey sabotage. You get, yeah, yeah. yeah. Undermine. When you flip that and you start to confront with the choices, but, but it doesn't mean you're going to lower your standards. Right? Here's the standard. Yep. Don't ask me to lower it. I'll help you if you need help to get sure. there, but the burden to perform ultimately is yours. It's right. not mine. It's but don't either. ask me to and lower the standard. And they're either a fit or they're not. They're either a fit or they're not. If they're not. making progress. And, and if they're, they're not a fit, willing. it's not a bad thing. It's just yeah. let's every, it's better to know it yeah. and move on. For both parties. Yep. Okay. It's your time to shine. We're going to do some questions. Hands nice and high. Stand up, tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and hopefully ask a question. We're going to move quickly through this. You got a question for Mr. Morin. Joseph, okay, you got to go first. Yep. Uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. How do we take this concept, and I was trying to think, how do I apply that to a listing and to a buyer, the same concept of having action steps and weekly steps and get their vision of why they're selling and apply that. But is there any thoughts on that of how we would apply that to our clientele? If you think about it, I, I did a lot of this stuff unconsciously, and now it's just done more consciously when you get the information. I used to tell a client, How many of you have ever heard me with the presentation? Imagine I'm waving a magic wand, and I go, it's 90 days from now. This was before I met you. (laughs) Now it's it's 84 days from now. (laughs) That's right. But I used to say, it's a magic wand, it's 90 days from now. Describe perfect. Describe perfect. And I just take notes. (laughs) Now, sometimes when they describe perfect, I'm going to sell my $300,000 fixer for a million six. Great, just make a note of that. Let's make a note of that. <laughs> Referring this one out. Let's make a note. So that was an example. So that's the same thing. Then you come up with a list. Of, Here's what we're going to do in the next 90 days. And I think this is important. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to do in the next 90 days. I'm not in control of the market. So here's what I'm going to do in the next 90 days. They hear what you're going to do. Now you have the 12-week year is the once-a-week Check in on a Friday. Here's what happened this week. Here's what's going on. If we don't get an offer, I'll talk to you next week. So if you think about it, we already kind of, this was unintentionally, unintentionally kind of did this. And now it's just, to go from unintentional, by the way, just so you know, like that's a great concept. You take that and then you put this kind of technology to it. Now it goes from here to here. That's the beauty of growth. Like, here's the thing. Brian has come in and shared little things with Buffini Company that are having dramatic changes. Are you guys with me? So you already are doing some of these things. So have the client tell you what their vision is. Describe perfect. Write it down. And then you say, okay, well, in order to get you from where you are here to where you're here, here's what I'm going to do. 
And now we have a great relationship. You've set the expectation. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to give you once a week, just like his presentation talked about. I'm going to give you the once a week breakdown for the next 12 weeks. And hopefully in the next 12 weeks, some good things are going to happen. And the plan's prescriptive because you're the expert. Nice. Right? I mean, you might ask him, is there anything you would like to see me do? And if you don't agree with it, you'd have that conversation. But so you get their buy-in to the plan. But you're the expert, so the plan's prescriptive. Here's your vision. Here's my expertise in terms of the plan. Good. Great. Hey. Steve Escobar, Potomac, Maryland. Hello, Brian's. Hello. So the 12-week plan begins with one business, one personal goal that you want to accomplish within the 12 weeks. How does the 12-week plan fit into the overall plan? Because you obviously don't just have one goal for a 12-week period. You've still got a lot of other stuff that you're doing. I don't know if you do. (laughs) Why do you need more than one goal? Why don't you set a revenue goal? Or set a closing goal, something like that. And again, I'm not saying that that'll be that way every 12 weeks. I'm just saying for your first 12 weeks. And sometimes people confuse goals with tactics. Mm. That's where the execution breaks down. How many people have ever set a workout goal? Okay. What's the problem with a goal that says I'm going to work out? (laughs) All right. So let's say I make it measurable. I'm going to work out four times a week for a minimum an hour time. What's, What's the problem with that as a goal? Here's the problem. It's a tactic. It's not a goal. It's a tactic. And if we set it as a goal, the execution breaks down because it's not attached to anything more aspirational, anything higher. Mm-hmm. I've yet to meet a person that their real goal is to work out. It's always for something else. It's to lose weight. It's to lower blood pressure, something like that. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. So you may have a lot of tactics, but you can have a few goals. Nice. But you've got to get that relationship right. Otherwise, the execution breaks down. If you're setting tactics as goals, you'll run yourself ragged. Well, and just to add on to that, one of the things I saw in Brian's presentation was he talked about focus. And so when you do the 12 weeks, it's what are the areas of emphasis? Buffini Company has 14 different departments. We got hundreds of things going on. Our first 12 weeks was about the Blitz program, to build this world-class Blitz program that no one would use. That was our first goal. Did a fine job, too. Put all our resources in, <laughs> millions of dollars, bless our clients, exceed their expectations, do more. You know that whole thing. Oh, yeah. And it was brilliant. It was part Executed of it. on our part. Yes, it was. Our part. Yes, yes. I don't formulate the goals or strategy. Yeah. I just help you put it together. Yep, yep. It worked beautifully. And it did work beautifully on our end. So <laughs> the thing is, there's areas of emphasis. There's areas of focus, right? And so for 12 weeks, personally, I'm going to focus on this one area. And for 12 weeks in my business, I'm going to focus. You're going to show up and do your job. Yeah, it doesn't mean you stop doing the other things, but when push comes to shove, this stuff is what matters most because it's going to move the needle the most. Otherwise, what happens is you take the day as it comes. And you've all had those days when you end the day, you're exhausted, and you haven't moved the needle in any one area. It's about focus. Most people are too diffused. So when you start to set three, four, five goals, you're setting yourself up to be diffused. And then we bounce around. It's just really difficult. It's really difficult. Great. I'm Samantha Alley from Corvallis, Oregon, and I lead a team of mostly admin with a couple of agents. So my question is, how do you set the nuts and bolts of daily and weekly tactics for non-sales-related members of your team that catch the fallout from my plan? (laughs) So it's easy. Well, it's not easy. It's clear for the agent. She's a big producer. She's got a great business. Yeah. Tons of transactions. Well, it's a great question, too. You know, I do X number of calls, 
X number of notes, X number of pop buys. I follow up with these people. I do that. But what happens is anything that I'm not doing goes to the other four admin on our team. So for me to tell my listing coordinator or to set goals with her, she may get two listings this week. She might get 10. That's going to screw up her plan. How do we set that up? Or do you yeah. just let them catch the fallout? It's a great question. I have no clue. No. Um, <laughs> well, here's the, here's the thing. Does that dynamic exist in an annual environment? Yeah. The 12 gear doesn't create it. Right? And that's what you'll see with a lot of that. So a couple things there. One is that oftentimes a situation like that, we set a team goal. And then we look at what people do to contribute to it. So they may not have individual goals. They may be part of this team goal. In our organization, it's kind of like what we did with Buffini. We, have, we get together. We have a team goal or two or three because we've got a good-sized team. And we have tactical plans. So some of the tactics have my name, some have Mike, some have Karen, some have Judy's, that type of thing. The other option to that if you really want them to have an individual goal in the business, is you've got to sit down and do the work of, in the end, how do we measure their success? Because if it's just they go home exhausted, that's not going to work. Mm. But that conversation sometimes is the conversation that changes everything. Because for the first time, they may really figure out what matters most and how they measure their success. So they know now. But that may be more than one conversation, too. But if you can't tell me how you measure my success, not the nine-page job description, but one or two or three metrics, then we can't set a goal. A couple of big pieces there. What I heard was, okay, what does winning look like for each one of your team? And this is a big deal. The Boston Celtics won a game <laughs> last night. They didn't win every possession. They didn't make every shot. Not everybody played their best, but they won a playoff game. And that's what winning looks like. And that's what winning looks like. You've got a great team going on. And as you know, there's a little bit of mess that comes along with winning. So the real thing is, what does winning look like? Right. right? When our house burned down, over the course of several weeks, we had 750 items over six weeks that we wrote down that we needed to wow. do. And it's the definition of overwhelm. Yeah, I have a wife. You. i got six kids. i got an overwhelmed schedule. And now... I got 750 things in the list. And it was probably the most productive time of my wife and I's life together mm. because we would wake up every day. We knew we were hopelessly, we were losing no matter what that day. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what. There was going to be 700, there might be 756 things at the end of the day. And then it came to, what does winning look like today? Mm. And here were the three things we'd go. She'd take three and I'd take three and we'd go. And we'd come home and we'd sit down and we'd go, hey, how to, uh, and we'd win. Win the day. Win and, the day. And sometimes the list grew. But it was winning. And so for your team, it's like, what does winning look like? Does every member of your team know what winning looks like and how they can contribute? That's and great. it starts with a series of discussions. So I think it's great advice. Yeah. Who's next? Yep. Joanne. Hi. Joanne Neighbors from Austin, Texas. Um, this is actually pretty similar to that. But you've talked about us working with our teammates to figure out what's important to them and then how they can buy into company goals. And knowing that it's their choice to do those activities, sure. do you have them come up with their consequences as well? Or I don't know if consequences yeah. and negative. Yeah, well, there's positive consequences, too. So we will have them come up with the positive consequences. How are we going to celebrate our success at the end of 12 weeks? Not just because you said don't lower your standards as right. a company. Right. So it seems like it's two different things. It's a lot easier for me to see what the consequences are professionally. 
you know, these are your choices to do these activities. So you're choosing right. this yeah. result. I mean, I love the word outcome more than consequence. Okay. So we're all pretty positive people. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's here's the outcomes. And there's two outcomes here, or there's a number of outcomes. Here's the positive outcomes. Here's some negative outcomes. We do this and this and this. Based on what you're saying, based on where we're at, these are the positive outcomes. We do this and this. Here's some of the negative outcomes. And we get to choose. So, so what you'll see is there are natural consequences and there are applied. So we'd have that discussion at the beginning. But I'm not going to necessarily let them choose the negative consequences, right? If, if I show up 14 times late, I'm going to have to go home for the day. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let them choose that. See, so, yeah. but we are going to choose how we're going to celebrate the success. And I'm going to make sure that they're clear on what consequences there are for non-performance. Got to do your job. Great. couple more real quick. Yep. Hi, Brian. I'm Brian. It's Gail Brand from Houston, Texas. And I have a question on behalf of our group. And our question is, how do you force yourself to maintain those strategic time blocks and not fall back into your old habits? So in other words, how do you find the discipline to stay disciplined? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a great question because there's a certain level of discipline that's required to be successful. I mean, there just is. And if you fight that, you're going to struggle. When you just say that's the reality, it's like gravity, that just is what it is, then it can work in your favor. So what I try and do is I create a model work week. What's the ideal, most productive week look like for me? And that's how I block out my time. Now, it's not always going to end up that way, but I'm trying to manage to that. I mean, think of your doctor or your dentist. They don't just willy-nilly drop things. at a, Neither should you. You're a professional, hmm. right? When you build out that model work week, you're going to put in the things that matter most. And you're going to find that there's some margin in the day. In that margin, you can do whatever you want. And when you do that, what happens is it lowers your stress because you know the important things are accounted for. And so then it's a matter of just keeping that sacred. And that's back to that commitment, right? It's, it's just making a commitment to say, okay, at least for the next 12 weeks, I'm going to keep these blocks sacred. Not forever, just for 12 weeks. Because mm. I can do it for 12 weeks. Yep. And what happens in that is the momentum starts to build. The discipline muscle starts to strengthen. You see the results coming from it, and it starts to become self-reinforcing. The hardest time is when you first begin it, yeah. like anything, because you've got, it's different. And here's the thing. The pain of change is so great when you start to use your time differently, because we're all really vested in how we use our time. So back to Jules' comment, be ready for that. Don't be surprised by that. When it's time to do this, you're not going to feel like doing it. That shouldn't come as a surprise, mm. right? But learn to act on your commitments, not your feelings. Nice. That's the key. Big. Yeah. Act on your commitments, not your feelings. The other thing is this. You can do anything for 12 weeks, can't you? Say it out. One, two, three. I can. That, that's the magic of what you've brought to the marketplace, Brian. Yeah. It's an overwhelming world. You can do anything for 12 weeks. David Shallow, Naperville, Illinois. I noticed some of your language choices you used diffused instead of defeated, and you used capable instead of accountable. What are some other things that are part of this that can kind of change our mindset so that we can really embrace it. Great. You know, I'm not sure because I'm probably unconscious competent with some of that stuff. Um, it's a great question. Gosh, I, I really don't know. <laughs> but I'm always focused on the fact that I control the actions, not the outcomes, and it's connected to the longer-term vision. So that ultimately is accountability for life. You know, Joe Arman, when he was doing his football thing, he would do a, a test for football coaches, and he'd say, who are my influences? Why do I coach? Mm -hmm. 
why do I coach the way I do? And then he would say, what's it like to be coached by me? And I think as a leader, like you're a driven guy, you're a successful guy, but you're also very, very interested in people's well-being. And so what's it like to be led by me? Those kind of principles will make you like go that. from consequence to an outcome. Because right? I, I don't want to be living in a place where I'm walking in, I'm Mr. Consequence. You know, I walk through the building and, oh, here's Mr. Consequence. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? But say, Mr. Outcome, I like that. So I think if you think through what's it like to be led by me, that will help you as a principle give that second thought to the words you had. Or you go back afterwards. How many of you replay a conversation after it happened? Mm. Oh, great. You back up and you go back. You know, the other day when I said to you this, here's what I actually meant the more I thought about it. But it's like, what's it mean yeah. to be led by me? Joe talked about yesterday about the power of saying sorry. I mean, if you're on it, you're going to have to do that a few times. Okay. One that comes sorry. up for me, though, is to be intentional. I want to be mm. intentional with my life mm. in every area. And, and the, this notion of life balance, I think, is a misnomer. It gives you this impression that you're going to spend equal time in equal areas, which I think even if you could accomplish that, probably isn't going to create the life you want. It's about intentional imbalance, if you will. So mm. one of those terms that I think a lot about is intentionality. Which means for me to be intentional, I have to know my vision. I have to be connected to it. I have to know the action that matters most. I've got to measure as it producing. So it, it forces me to apply the other disciplines at one level. So that, that's one that comes to mind. Okay, we're going to do two last ones. My darling Sherry. Sherry Kamiko, Chicago, Illinois. I have a question that I'm not clear about. You're talking about business goals and personal goals. How do we fit them all together. Are we just creating one 12-week plan that incorporates both, or are they separate plans, and then how do we fit them all in? Great question. Great question. The answer is it's one plan, because you're one person. So we have a team plan for our company. That's our 12-week business plan. I have some individual goals as well. And one of the things on the individual level is sometimes you don't need a full-on tactical plan. Sometimes you only need to identify the keystone action. And so what a keystone action is, is it's the one action that would have the greatest effect and that the others tend to come along in the wake. It works in the business. It works more on the personal side even because on the personal side, you know, if I want to get in shape, I don't need to get other people on board with that. It's more in my control. Mm -hmm. So I'll give an example. If I'm setting a goal of a certain weight or body fat or something like that, my keystone action is four workouts a week. I don't focus on my diet. If I get in the gym four days a week, I eat better. It doesn't work the reverse for me. Now, it's not all I do. You know, I take my wheatgrass, I do my oil, I do all that stuff. But if I'm in the gym, that other stuff comes along in the wake. So on the personal side of things, I'll have a goal around fitness, and I have one tactic. It's to work out four times a week. That's my keystone action. That's the thing that's most powerful that's going to bring the other stuff along in the wake. For my relationship with Judy, it's date night. It's not all we do, it's not all I do, but if we do date night, things go better, the other stuff comes along. Mm. So oftentimes on the personal side, you can take on a little more if you can identify that keystone action. And the key is you're not only committing to the goal, the outcome, most importantly, we're committing to the action. So one of the things you want to do is count the costs. What are the costs of me taking that action each week? What am I going to sacrifice over the next 12 weeks? And then I look and I say, okay, consciously, am I willing to pay those costs or not? Yes, well, yes. you have the two, but you, you, know, you have a list of things to do in the day. But you can walk and chew gum. You have two emphasis. For 12 weeks, you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. And these are your two emphasis. And they become part of your 12-week plan. So if you're going to go work out, you're not going to work out for 12 hours. 
you know, you, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this. I got one personal goal and I got one business goal for the next 12 weeks. I have other stuff I'm going to do, but these are my areas of emphasis. The other thing that will happen is you build your capacity to execute, you're able to take on more. So just mm. keep, it, keep it streamlined, especially for the first 12 weeks. Right, and then get good at it. Last one, Mr. Daly. So we're talking here about this uh, emotional cycle of change. When people are either in, uh, specifically in, in a leadership level, right? When our team or ourselves are in uninformed optimism or we're in that valley of despair, yeah. what are the actions you take as a leader? What are the questions you ask either to yourself or to your team to slingshot them up yeah. into performance? So the uninformed optimism I don't worry too much about because reality is going to kick them pretty quick. Right, the minute you start to act on it, you're going to start to feel the pain of change. So I don't worry too much about that. We'll sometimes talk about on the front end, you know, hey, what might this mean for us? So we start to get a little feel for some of that, but we're going to quickly get into that. The valley of despair is critical. And so what we want to do is come up alongside of that and keep them focused on taking the next step. Because the tendency when I get the valley of despair is to stall out, mm. commiserate, look around for other people that are going, boy, this sucks, and then we bail. So what we want to do is keep them moving. And the way you do that is you focus on the tactics and the plan. Just work the plan. Work the plan. Work the plan. And what will happen is you'll quickly come out of that. That's good. Well, I can say this. The day I met Brian Moran, it was like the first day I met Joe Nego. And I went, I was like, wow. This guy is, he's got a lot more in the tank. He's a brilliant guy. He has a great heart for people. He's full of wisdom. He's making a difference in this world. Uh, we're going to continue to do stuff together in, in capacities with Feeney Company, and I would imagine you'd like to hear him a few more times. Was that okay? But it's been a real honor to have you. It's an honor to get to know you. You're helping Buffini and Company be better at serving these guys and another 20,000 just like them. And uh, we're very thankful for you. We're thankful as a team. And the last uh, two sessions here today, you've blessed our life. And we want to thank you for it. Can you give a founder's thank you to Mr. Brian Moran? Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Our goal is to positively influence as many folks as we can. So be sure to share it with others. And don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. Uh, we love hearing the feedback. You can check out the show notes on thebrianbuffinishow.com. We're on Android, so you can download your favorite podcast app from Google Play and tune in for free. So as I finish here today, I'd like to leave you with the Irish blessing that Brian always ends the show on. It's something his grandfather used to always say. May the roads rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.